The Psychedologist. Hello, thanks for tuning in to The Psychedologist, Consciousness Positive Radio. I have a repost of an episode for you today. This was my appearance on the Quantum Shift podcast, where I had a conversation with Shauna about PSIP, or Psychedelic Somatic Interactional Psychotherapy. The episode was recorded and released in June 2021, and I have a few updates since the time of that episode coming out. You'll hear in this episode, Shauna and I talk about the PSIP or PSIT modality, and this will probably make more sense when you listen to the episode, but the modality itself can be very intense. Um, It involves sitting still using a technique called selective inhibition, where you basically slow down and then eventually just eliminate any voluntary muscle movements or physical movements and also mental processes that might take you out of what's arising in the body. So the nervous system and the body gets pressurized and um, kind of denied any outlets of that pressure. And the pressure builds by intention, and sometimes that can turn into a wave, which is uh, just kind of an an intense, it can be intense, um, upswell of of a physical feeling or an emotion, um, often a combination. And the, in the wave or the release of that stored experience, the completion of an incomplete process from the past, like perhaps someone was attacked and they weren't able to defend themselves or fight back. And that full feeling of fear and being attacked comes up and maybe the person is even their body actually does fight back in the therapy, um, that the completion of that process can bring about relief for some folks. Uh, in particular, folks who experience dissociation have, may try this modality out to see if it can clear away some of that nervous system dissociation that's lingering from past trauma. So while we dive into that, I just wanted to make a, an important caveat and note that this modality is really not for everyone that um, the way I approach this work now is in a much slower and more, uh, I think, trauma-sensitive way than how it was taught to me. Um, Our teacher, Saj Razvi, really emphasized um, that the big healing and the big relief comes from having these huge waves and getting into those states of panic Um, which state two, you'll hear about that in the episode. I no longer focus on that when I work with people. I've just seen in myself and in my colleagues that really uh, amazing and healing results can come from building trust, going super slow, and uh, leading with, you know, consent and that includes the consent of the body. So just really being conscientious about not pushing anyone to go where they're not ready to go. Um, and I've heard some very legitimate complaints and grievances against the modality and against the teacher. So I just wanted to uh, 
give you that extra information um, before you listen to this episode that you should, if you do feel called to work with this modality, to know that um, you don't have to do anything that you don't want to do. You can go slow. Um, make sure that you have the the uh, stability in your life to deal with the uh, destabilization that this modality can bring and uh, and that you are in control and you don't have to do anything that you don't want to. And make sure you're working with a trusted practitioner who has experience, who's trauma-informed, and who you really uh, feel comfortable with, who you can really trust will be there with you. Uh, because it's an intense process. And I know that some people have felt like the process with this modality was harmful for them and left them worse off than before. Uh, so I, I sincerely hope for that to not happen to anyone. And if you'd like to reach out to me on any of these topics, feel free to email me at thepsychedologist at proton.me. All right. Thank you. I hope you enjoy this conversation of uh, destigmatizing psychedelic therapy with Leah and Shauna. And last but not least, let me tell you about Shauna. Shauna Pelton is a transformational guide of 20 years, helping everyday leaders who feel stuck with an opportunity to heal from unresolved trauma, rewire the nervous system for safety and success, stop self-sabotaging behavior and patterns of resistance, feel more confident to communicate your boundaries, and prosper with purpose. You can see her website at shaunapelton.com. And now here is the conversation originally published on the Quantum Shift podcast. Prepare yourself to have a quantum shift because we're about to break through the old programming that has kept you back from fulfilling your greatest potential for health, happiness, and harmony in life. My name is Shauna Pelton. I am your host, and I train seekers of truth, change makers, and conscious leaders to reorient your true north. Join me at quantumshift.us. Hello, hello. Welcome back to all of you enlightened alliances who are tuning in today to experience a quantum shift. I'm Shauna Pelton. I am your host and the founder of the Quantum Shift Inner Power Circle, which is a growing community for spiritually minded, heart-centered, positive, or I shouldn't say positive, open-minded thinkers and uh, seekers on a quest for self-actualization. After this episode, you can find your way over to quantumshift.us and join us there in the community. Today, I am joined by Leah Friedman, the psychedologist, a teacher, a writer, a psychedelic integration facilitator, and a permaculturist. Born and raised in Lowell, Mass., Leah obtained her master's degree in clinical psychology from Riviere University and worked as an in-home therapist before psychedelics turned her world inside out. Now a student in psychedelic somatic interactional psychotherapy, PSIP for short, a trainee in restorative and transformative approaches to conflict, a budding herbalist, and the host of a podcast called The Psychedologist, Conscious Positive Radio. So our intention for today is to destigmatize psychedelic 
therapy. I am so excited to have this conversation with, uh, with Leah today because, of course, it is what I believe to be, um, it's going to be the new normal for trauma therapy moving forward. And so she and I are colleagues together with our PSIP training, and we are interested in really bringing this subject um, to the mainstream so people can you know, just have a more educated um, understanding of all the things associated, the good, the bad, I guess the bad, <laughs> because everything bad. is a shadow, absolutely. Mm -hmm. um, and so with that said, I'm excited to, um, to, to like dive right in. And Leah, welcome. I'm so happy to have you here today. Thank you, Shauna. It's great to join you. So the very first thing I think we should talk about is the question on everyone's mind. What's a psychedologist? You know, I'm still learning what one is, but I'll tell you what it means to me now. Um, after I got my master's degree, I was hoping to become a PhD candidate and I wanted to get my PhD with a stipend, um, not have to pay for school anymore, but, you know, go through that sort of rat race and struggle of being a doctoral student and teaching and, and getting my, my PhD because I wanted to be able to be involved in academia as well as therapy. And so that was a good route. Um, in preparing to be a good PhD candidate, I worked in a residential treatment center um, associated with a, a really powerful and well-known mental hospital. And uh, it was just not a great fit at all. So I diverged from that. Psychedelics came into my life shortly after and um, I was very like closed to the idea. Actually, I didn't even recognize the difference between psychedelics and like cocaine or meth or uh, heroin. Like I, I just was like, all drugs are bad, you know, dare generation. <laughs> so she's making a knowing face. Yeah. Shauna, you've been <laughs> through that too. Some mm -hmm. um, drugs are bad. So, okay. Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> just say no. Uh, so I did a little traveling at that time and I, you know, I, it always kind of pissed me off that you can't call yourself a psychologist unless you do some certain things. And right. it, it, even state to state, it can vary who's a psychologist. Like one of my teachers, she's like, when I'm in New Hampshire, I can say I'm a psychologist, but when I'm in California, I can't be. And I was mm. like, just these funny human rules. Um, mm -hmm. So psychedelics were so profoundly impacting me and, um, and it was like influencing my lens on the world. And so when I thought about like, what is this perspective that I'm writing from, that I'm speaking from? It's like, it's like a blend of psychedelics and psychology. It's like psychedelic psychology. And I was like, psychedology, <laughs> psychedologist. I'm a psychedologist. And by no means am I the only one. Like, I invite yeah. anybody to yes. identify as a psychedologist yes. because... Um, oh, I'm just, totally yeah. a psychedologist. <laughs> <laughs> now that I know that, it's what I am. <laughs> Yeah. Yay. Oh my gosh. I love that story. Thank you. And you know what? I appreciate you sharing that whole like perspective on seeing all drugs as one way. I actually had a very similar, I was very ashamed mm -hmm. of my past. I was a, an abuser of drugs. And so I went from being, you know, very much in a state of out of control with, with self, um, self-medicating and self-abuse with substances 
um, to being absolutely clean and pure, like zero, like even attempting not to do even much like Advil or Tylenol, right? Like I went like real hardcore. And so I went very rigid on the other side. And so when I um, came back into this world through, again, it was like through this healing and trying to, trying to work on, on resolving some very serious uh, conflict within myself and, and change patterns in my life. I was also introduced to psychedelic therapy and in a different way than what we're doing today, but it was what opened the door. And, and so I had to come to a new relationship with uh, the use of these really good medicines um, that have, when you use them well, of course, have their place. So thank you for sharing that. What was your first I guess, introduction, what medicine did you get turned on to in the psychedelic um, arena? Mm. Well, and also, I just want to honor your, your sharing of your story there. And thank you for, for coming out. <laughs> um, it's a beautiful journey. My first experience was with a low dose of mushrooms by myself. Um, the context of that was the person who introduced me to psychedelics was a boyfriend who I was very smitten with. Um, he was a Vipassana meditator, still is. And, uh, and he, you know, part of his spiritual practice was taking high doses of mushrooms. And so um, it wasn't actually until we split up that I became interested in using them. And I will confess it was to impress him and show him what he was missing. I was like, I'm going to take psychedelics and impress you now. Uh, and that actually... <laughs> Which, if you knew me in my earlier life, this right. would not be surprising at all. Like, I was right. oh, oh, I've never to... done that, Leah. No, not even our listeners have done that. <laughs> yep, yep. No, and yeah, and I'm fortunate that trying to impress guys has led me to some really great things that now it's just part of my own life. So thank you, guys, um, I guess. <laughs> you know, everything's a mirror. Totally. Um, but yeah, so I, I had a low dose mushroom experience that was positive. And then I was like, I'm signing up for ayahuasca. Here I go. I'm going to go to Costa Rica and drink ayahuasca. Um, and I didn't really have connection to anyone who did that sort of thing. Um, but one friend learned I was doing that. And she said, you know, I think you should have a deeper trip before you go do that. It could be really intense. I scored you a hit of acid. Here you go. I've never done it. I can't advise you, but like, here's a, a hit of acid. Okay. Mm -hmm. So like one month before I was going to go drink ayahuasca, I made a little ceremony, which I had never done any of these things at all. Wow. And uh, I took this hit of LSD and um, I, I had a really profound experience. I still come back to it. Like it, it was so predictive of the trajectory of my life. Um, my plants were growing and dying right before my eyes. I was just watching this cycle of their life. And it led me to reflect on how I used to be so in connection with nature, in relationship with nature when I was growing up. And ironically, I, um, I diverged from that when I got into boys and I was dating and I just kind of like didn't go to the woods anymore. Um, so the, that experience kind of brought me back and, and, and it, I felt like this inner knowing that my disconnection with nature was part of my disconnection from myself. Um, I had like, yeah, I had over 10 years of time being riddled with eating disorders at that point. Like since, I mean, even early, I, I if I could have started having disordered eating sooner, I would have, I just couldn't figure it out as a kid. And then I like figured it out when I got to age 11 or 12, 
And then I was down this track of um, really like hurting my body, trying to make it be acceptable to other people. Mm. Um, so, so that trip was really profound and it led me to drink ayahuasca in Costa Rica. I ended up volunteering at the ayahuasca center and helping support people in the ceremony. It, yeah, it touched me very deeply. And when I came home, I was forever changed. And I started going to psychedelics conferences and reading all of the classic books, you know, Huxley and um, meeting more people. That led me to helping to start Boston Entheogenic Network, which is a Boston-based group centered is around... That, um, I was going to ask, is that Boston Entheogenic Network just for um, guides or is it for anyone who's curious? Oh, it's not just for anything. Yeah, it's for anybody in uh, in the Boston area who and, and people from other states are in the group, too. It's on Facebook. Anyone can join. Um, but yeah, it's not a place to score substances. It's a place to kind of connect our mycelial threads with each other and and find community of of others who have been impacted by these altered states of consciousness. Mm, really cool. I remember joining, but as Facebook algorithms have it, I, you know. You know the story. You don't always see every post, so I'll have to intentionally go find it. Yeah, and COVID times really kind of slowed it down in that group, uh, but but they'll go back to having in-person meetups pretty soon, I'm sure. Awesome, awesome. I didn't mean to stop your process. You were sharing a lot of deep stuff that I was into. So after the Boston Entheogenic? After Ben, um, I mean, like, if I kept going, it would just be on and on and on. <laughs> um, so that, 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 that was how I started with psychedelics. Yeah. Nice. Do you want me to talk about how I got into the work I do now? Yeah, actually, I do. I'm curious. What, tell us about that. Okay. Um, so after Ben had been running for over a year, um, and during that time, I, did, I also did psychedelic harm reduction, which uh, it goes by many names, but in short, what I did is I would go to music festivals or gatherings where people were, you know, likely to be altering their consciousness with substances um, or, you know, ecstatic dance, all, breath work, all these things alter the consciousness. And uh, so there's a space that's like a quiet, grounded space where peers who are sober can um, help support people who have gotten, you know, into a difficult place in their journey. Um, and so holding space for folks as they... Um, you know, as they were in hell that they wanted to have fun at the festival and suddenly they're like, their big shadow is right there. So, so being with that was really powerful. And um, I was also helping facilitate integration circles in Boston Entheogenic Network, which is a space to process and, um, and just figure out how to take the messages, the insights, the visions, whatever happened in the psychedelic journey, how to um, understand that on a deeper level and then weave it into our lives, you know, the fabric of each day and who we are. It's like, uh, it's like a process of distillation. Like you have this whole big trip. So, okay, now what are you going to do? Um, so yeah, through yeah, that's so powerful. Yeah. That's an important step for this, for what people are going through. To be able it to is. Yeah. And you mentioned in the beginning, like psychedelic therapy, destigmatizing psychedelic therapy and something so critical for people for, I hope people can recognize is that um, it is a lot of work to trip. Like it could be the whole day could feel like a lot of heavy lifting, uh, mm -hmm. but really the, the work or the play that's done afterward is what makes the healing lasting. 
Mm-hmm. Yes, yes, uh, yes. Okay, there's so much goodness there. Um, okay, let's dive into, um, let's talk about the psychedelic therapy itself, because I think that people are actually confused when they hear psychedelics. First of all, they have a very specific type of drug in mind, usually. Like people will be like, oh, yeah, I know, I've done psychedelics before. And so then we have a, it opens up the conversation, but there's usually one way of seeing it. So let's talk about, um, if it's okay, can we discuss the three tiers of psychedelics and why this matters to the work that people are doing for healing? Yeah, no, that sounds great. Um, Do you want to talk about the tier one, two, and three? Or we can just both kind of riff on it? Okay, go for it. Yeah. All right. So... Uh, most people are familiar with tier three, so we'll start there and go backwards. <laughs> so the tier three is the universal um, uh, mind. It's the the unity consciousness. It's a transpersonal experience that people would have um, with certain types of substances, like psilocybin from uh, mushrooms, for example. Is LSD a tier three? Do you know? I can't remember. Kind of seems like yeah. It I think so, and and I even think that the the tierness can it's like less rigid yeah. and like because yeah, it's not you, just I, yeah. Even, and with a high dose of ketamine, which we have for tier one, with PSI looks at ketamine as tier one, but you can have a tier three experience on ketamine with, with um, you know that alter like that uh, uh, ego death or K hole experience. Yeah, I've even had tier three experiences on cannabis. Exactly. Yeah. So a tier three is when you open up that to to that higher, I call it the higher mind, right? And that means all of it. It's the collective, it's your own higher mind, your higher self. It's the collective higher mind. And it's also the higher mind of, of the one, right? So whatever someone refers to the one, God, universe, nature, all of that, um, mm-hmm. I believe is what falls into that category. And so people think that when they go into a psychedelic um, experience, just having that, that, that spiritual experience is what they need. So can we talk about like the, the pros and the, the cons of just that particular type? Yeah, definitely. Um, it's true what you say that uh, people, a lot of people who are seeking psychedelic healing um, have expectations of maybe ego death, which is like a a dissolution of the self and a a oneness with everything. And I like to specify that ego death can also feel like aloneness and being just, yeah. Yeah. Just further even dissociated, I think sometimes. Absolutely. Absolutely. So it can be. Maybe, yeah, maybe what we should do is probably before we go into the really powerful talk about it, let's, let's define this, the the other two then, because I feel like maybe I can get lost in the subject and forget to introduce the, the other two. So tier two is about the identity consciousness. It's like who you are, your self identity, that kind of thing, right? The way you see yourself and the way you relate to all of your life experiences, your, your view. Is it fair to say worldview is also in there? Do you think? I think tier? so. Yeah, no. I think so. I, I should have brushed up on the tiers before yeah, this, right? but here we go. <laughs> <laughs> and then tier one is primary consciousness. It's the body. It's the memory of of 
your physicality first and foremost, but like what that entails on the, is the nervous system and, and the fight, you know, the, the fight or flight response, or even like that, like, uh, you know, rest and digest response as well. Those are in primary consciousness. And so those are the three different tiers that different medicines can help access during a psychedelic experience. Okay. So now those that, now that we have that out of the way and everybody's kind of like, Oh, okay. So now let's go into what people most uh, assume is like the best place to start and why it's not exactly the best place to start, but it, it's that tier three experience. So. Yes, yes, definitely. And I think that worldview is a tier two, right? So like if, if tier one is the body and the nervous system, and then tier two would be the mind and my identity and how I think of myself and you and, you know, that um, self and other, and then tier three transcends the personal and it's the collective kind of consciousness, Stan Groff sort of thing. Yeah. So a lot of people um, do have these tier three type experiences in psychedelic healing. And I also see people chasing that kind of experience, which can be disappointing for them if they aren't um, accessing it. Um, but in any case, um, to have that unity consciousness uh, um, experience, a lot of being human um, involves physical traumas and, and, and physical memory, physical experiences that get written into ourselves um, in the way that we relate to our environment. It, the, the body is so wise. It's taking in all of this sensory information all the time, and it's, it's not all going to our um, consciousness. So, so like kind of you can, I always say like, you know, you walk into the ski lodge or a really smelly bathroom and you smell, oh, feet or like, ooh, like smelly bathroom. But if you, you know, unfortunately, if you have to stay in there, it's the smell's not going to be so strong after a while because we actually have a processing part of our mind. That, and this is like in the like blocks and, it out. Yeah. Just like kind of turns down the intensity because it's not new anymore. Okay. Got it. Got the message. Um, and people with sensory processing issues don't, they actually might not have that decrease. So this isn't wow. across all, yeah, all brains you know, and bodies. That's a really good point. I never thought um, that. Yeah. Well, so anyway, um, so that's just the body alone and um, our nervous systems are wired to help us survive. So when uh, we, when we go through something that's stressful, the nervous system wants to remember what happened and it even tries to reenact it to uh, complete what we didn't get to complete when the, when the trauma happened, whether it was holding, you know, pushing someone off of us or um, you know, uh, holding our breath, like, and anything like that, that the shock of, um, of a stressful or traumatic experience kind of still lives in the body. So that's tier one, right? If we're having a psychedelic experience and having like a tier three meeting with God or, or, um, our self dissolving the bodily trauma and association with, you know, the smell of gas of explosion or, um, being for me, it was like, I had a car accident on the highway. So being on the highway, meeting God isn't going to help me not be triggered when I'm on the highway because it's my, it's like the body level remembering of that incident. And so therefore Thank to treat, you. yeah. So to work on that trauma, we have to directly engage the body and the nervous system, which is what PSIP does. Absolutely. You know, about 10 years ago, um, when I did, that was when I was first introduced to psychedelic medicine, but I was also, 
um, like I was on my journey of seeking. I was already kind of like in my path of purpose, but to the degree that I could be not really knowing who I was. Like I was, I was still lost, but yet I was on the path. I don't know if that makes sense. <laughs> so, it does. And so when um, I, I would get these clear, like I would have these waves of insights, not just, it wasn't about the medicine. It was just about me doing my personal work and actually being open to understanding that which I didn't know. And something that I saw very clearly, uh, because I'm a visual, like as an intuitive, I end up seeing pictures to help me make sense of things. So I saw a picture of how uh, like this, there's this rarefied frequency of light that is the highest like potential of our beingness, right? And it's this refined light that's so potent, that's so powerful. But if our bodies on the physical level aren't capable of actually trans transducing that light. Think about a transducer. What does a transducer do? It sends and receives information. Every one of our DNA, like our DNA strands, our cells, and our whole beingness, we are transducers of light. What is light? Light is just information. It is data. Okay. So if we can't actually transduce that, transduce that highest, rarest uh, form of light, it short circuits our nervous system. That was the visual I had. It was as if the motherboard shut down because it couldn't process it. It's similar to what happens if like if anyone here in the US has ever gone abroad with their hairdryer, guilty, I plugged it in <laughs> in Italy and I literally shorted the whole apartment oh, trying to plug my equipment into an outlet that didn't have the capacity to handle the power that was surging through it. Mm. And so we have to think in the same way, our electrical bodies, the nervous system that works in pro, you know, works with the, the physical body can't handle all of the power of supreme consciousness if it's still dissociated from these past traumas, whether yeah. they're our own traumas or lineage-based traumas that are still within us that cause us to be separate from our wholeness. Um, that's how I saw it. And our job is to literally upgrade our software, if you would, or upgrade the, the hardware, the capacity. Both. <laughs> Both, Both, right? Yeah, true. Upgrade the capacity to be able to translate perfect light and to express that light through us as our unique nature. That's the visual mm. that I had 10 years ago, but I had no idea how to even achieve that. So I was like on this quest of figuring that out. So here I wow. am 10 years later. Wow. Brilliant. Right where you need to be. Right where I need to be. Yeah. So the PSIP therapy works, you know, I haven't thought of it on the tier three model yet. I've been focused on the, the level one with it. So if you want to talk about your perspective, how do you use it and what do you see the benefits? And I think that PSIP can help with tier one and tier two, sort of um, figuring out healing, et cetera. Um, I want to say something about dissociation because you said you mentioned dissociation and this is so related to PSIP. So I'm going to start with that. Okay. Um, and nervous system states, I guess it's going to, that's yeah. how we'll talk about dissociation. Yeah, great. Um, so in, in the teachings of our instructor, Saj Rosby, um, who has been practicing this technique for like two decades about, 
Um, and then before that, the, the technique was invented um, by Eric Walterstorff, but um, it's only, you know, in the last six years that it's been used with ketamine or cannabis or psychedelics to um, like lubricate and, and expedite the process of the nervous system. Um, but essentially, we, uh, when we're calm and relaxed and receptive, um, then that's like called state zero. And this is like when the antelope are grazing and they're by the oasis and everything's beautiful and everyone's happy and no one's, there's really no risk right now. So calm. And uh, then, you know, let's say there's a, a lion is spotted a couple of miles off in the distance. So everybody's ears perk up. Ah, there's a lion walking over here. No one's panicking yet, but everyone's on alert. And this is state one. This is the state in which a lot of people are walking around living all the time. So it's a state of anxiety, um, yeah. but it's not panic. Right. We've normalized it. Yep, exactly. And people can, you know, I personally channel my state one into being, you know, a, a a high, a high achieving person and having a lot of podcast episodes. That's what I was going to say. Yeah. yeah, Things I've written. Yeah. So it's, you know, it's, it just is. Um, State two is something that we can't sustain for long periods of time, but it's a state of full on panic. And that's when the lion breaks into a run and he's chasing the herd or she, because right, the usually the female lions are the ones. Yeah, it's usually the, exactly. Yeah, the lioness. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, so yeah, she's, you know, say, say we are the antelope, we're running away and there's a lion hot on our tail. So it's like, oh my gosh, survive, survive, survive. And that's state two. Now we can't always get away. So if that lion catches us and we're, you were struggling, kicking, fighting, but you know, she's latched on, so we can't get away. Then we drop down into dissociation. So the first two states I talked about, state one and state two are hot states, um, that sympathetic nervous system states. Dropping down into dissociation, we go into um, this, uh, it's a state of hopelessness. There's no solution. Um, we tried, like if only there had been a solution, if only could, we could have gotten away, but we couldn't. And so this is where maybe a bit of a floatiness or disconnection starts to come in. And it's our own wise bodies having this response that's supposed to protect us by making what's happening less intense. So um, that's state three. And state four is just an even greater expression of that. This is when we're being eaten and we don't even really know that that's what's happening because we're floating. You know, someone who watches themselves from another place in the room might be in this state for out of body experience, um, sleepiness, just that endogenous opioid response, which is when our body releases our own opioids to help us not feel the pain of what's going on. So especially if someone was in a trauma and they went into dissociation, you know, their, their nervous system sent them there as a protective mechanism. They are going to have that dissociation afterward, especially if they see the trigger, um, they might go into that dissociative response. So PSIP is a, it includes a technique for um, pressurizing the nervous system to notice our dissociation and then 
move up out of dissociation into a wave, what's called a waves, changing states, state four to state three or three to state two, where suddenly the dissociation cracks and outcomes panic and the emotions that wanted to be felt, the physical sensations, the, even the incomplete autonomic responses or physical movements that didn't get to happen, um, which could look like running or um, trying to hit somebody or anything really, it could be anything. Um, I, when I went into a state two in a session, I re-experienced my car accident and I was on the phone and my hand went up to hold the phone to my head. I didn't even know it was happening. I was like, oh, like my, I'm on the phone. And then my hand just smashed into my face because that was what happened in, in the accident and wow. I hadn't processed it. Yeah. Wow. And I was like, I wasn't trying to touch on that memory. It was just what, yeah, what my what nervous your body system needed came to up do. with. Yeah. Yep. I remember having moments where my legs were running. It's like, what's going on? I don't know. I'm running. <laughs> yeah. mm -hmm. I just, my body just needed to run, 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 yeah. run, 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 or kick mm -hmm. or punch. And I would have those feelings. Yeah. So that's similar. Yeah. Interesting. And let me say one more thing now to, to touch on how this can be tier two. So I was just talking about very physical level stuff, but let's talk about neglect, um, uh, developmental trauma, relational yeah, trauma. Relational. So if, if someone, um, well, as infants, it really doesn't make sense for us to be able to regulate ourselves survival wise. Like we can't communicate. And so if, if there's something that we need, we cry. And, uh, and when we get picked up and nurtured and given attention, it helps us regulate our system. So if we could regulate our systems on our own, it, it just would not be conducive to survival necessarily. And, and we're relational creatures. We need that connection, that holding. So if that wasn't present for a person in their early childhood, or if there was abuse or and any sort of trauma that has the system not trusting other people, um, then PSIP can work on that too. And so rather than a wave of a physical motion coming up, it would, it might be a wave of a, of a feeling um, or a thought or an emotion and, and transference is when the therapist be, begins to symbolize another person in our life or another group of people. And so we may transfer our feelings or our fears onto them. This comes up for me when I think my therapist is bored they don't want to be here. They're looking at me as just annoying, a burden. So, but I have no reason to think that they're looking at me that way. It's what's arising are feelings that I've had about others, thinking that others were not in, indeed interested in me or there to support me. Right. Um, so, so that can also come up as uh. a wave, be felt processed, and then not, uh. not be so, um, so stuck. Oh, powerful. Yeah. And that's important also to recognize, like, that doesn't have to be even a conscious, like, you, sometimes people don't even know why they're thinking that. Um, mm -hmm. They assume it's because of what's in front of them, what they're physically, like, they're going through in the moment. But oftentimes, it's tapping into those, uh, I call them decision points, when we make a decision to believe a certain thing, um, mm. from an event that happened that we at a young age, let's face it, we're innocent as non, especially in the nonverbal states. And when we experience something that the nervous system goes through, as you just described, all of those ranges of uh, nervous system states that can be very uncomfortable mm -hmm. and very scary and very like, let's face it, you don't know what it is. So you don't know how to respond to it and you make up stories about it. And so these are when our belief systems develop about ourself or about our, about others. 
And then we end up behaving in a way that reflects our belief throughout life. And we repeat these, these behaviors and we don't even realize we've built up this, this way of being, this identity and these protective parts because of, of an interpretation of an event. Sometimes it's not even the event itself. It was our interpretation of the event. And that's also important to recognize is there is a difference, but it doesn't matter either way. It's just needs to be dis, dis, when we get destabilized through this process, it kind of is a breaking down of those patterns of those beliefs of those uh, those moments when we made decisions about who we are or about who others are to us in relation to us. Um, yeah. I'd like to say that I, this is so great what you're saying. And the moment of the trauma, sometimes it's not like a what looks really big from the outside, but it's what right. it means to the person when it happens. And yeah. I like a lot of my clients, I think they they don't go into the depth of their trauma because they're like, it's not that bad. People go through a lot worse. Um, mm. And I think this is, this is like an escape because you can just, okay, that way you can take the off ramp and not feel the extent of your pain because it's real. And uh, it's, it's, this is some, um, <laughs> well, actually, no, sorry. <laughs> Rewind. Um, trauma is anything that's too much, too fast, not enough. Uh, and it, it does not have to be something that like maybe people think someone in a war zone or right. sexual assault or um, severe neglect. No, it, it, it right. could be that the teacher said something, you know, in an off way. And mm -hmm. so it, what on that day that meant something so much to the person. Yeah, absolutely. And it can also be just simply a prolonged um, stress state where yeah. someone just can't like, for example, like there are a lot of people who have caregivers who are less than nurturing, they might not be abusive. And so they'll say like, Oh, my mother wasn't bad. But right, they always preface it, or my father mm -hmm. wasn't a bad guy, but he yelled a lot, or my mother really didn't tell me she loved me or pick me up when I cried or comfort me when I, you know, when I was afraid, but she wasn't a bad person. He, they weren't bad people. Right. So like all of a sudden we're making up these, like trying to protect the people we love. But the truth is, is that we went with needs that were unmet. So we had unmet needs as a developmenting, uh, a, de a person going through developmental stages. And because it's like this, you know, decade, a couple of decades length of a time that we have needs that we need to work um, through developing with our caregivers or our immediate, you know, the people that are influential in our life. Uh, even that can contribute to trauma, like a, a complex PTSD type of symptom, severe mm -hmm. psychological distress um, symptoms tied to those just simply chronic unmet needs. Yeah. yeah. And I think that any conversation about PSIP needs to include a piece about resourcing. Yes. Okay. Let's, let's talk about resourcing and is it okay on timing? I don't mind going over, but are you on a crunch <laughs> for time? No, I'm okay. 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 Good. But I'll, I'll follow your lead. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so to bring up these traumas and to actually allow the emotions, the physical actions or whatever to complete, um, our nervous system needs to believe that it's going to be okay to actually do that. 
Um, so even if mentally we're like, yes, I want to clear out this trauma. Here we go. I'm going to hit it hard. Like I'll do whatever it takes. The nervous system's normally like, uh, you know, you don't know what you're talking about. Like, we're not going to go there. This is to protect you. So the nervous system is not going to allow us access to that unless we resource the system. And, um, and what that means is having, um, practices and, um, uh, yeah, practices or, or strategies written into our life that, that brings on a parasympathetic state or a rest and digest state. So this is the state where cortisol lowers, um, you know, muscle tension relaxes, the organs go back to doing their thing of digesting and the heart rate, you know, slows down. So parasympathetic states are like states of, of calm. Um, And so we have to, be able to regulate ourselves to some degree um, and, e- and even to regulate ourselves with the help of somebody that's called co-regulation. That's I, I experience this, the presence of a trusted person will help me get regulated, you know, in like, like nothing else. Um, although I, I think I'm making awesome progress on being able to self-regulate, but in any case, the nervous hey. system won't let us, yay. <laughs> the nervous system won't let us go there unless the system is resourced. And so um, people who are enthusiastic about doing PSIP need to be engaging in their own resourcing um, mm-hmm. resourcing uh, schedule. Right. Yeah. yeah, that's really important. Um, and so what are some resources that you like to use that help you? Um, I really like to do watercolor painting and paint. Yeah. Like just paint some colors together of what I'm feeling or a vision that I had in a dream or in a psychedelic state, um, or just to sit and paint and play with, with color and shape. Um, I really get resourced when I connect my mind and body. So going for a run, Mm -hmm. going for a mindful walk, doing some mindful yoga. Um, and cause yoga is not always like resourcing for me, I could do yoga as like a workout and be like the goal, be flexibility and strength building. Um, but if I want to, if the goal is resourcing, then it'll be a slow mindful yoga, um, where I'm intentionally relaxing the muscles that are supposed to relax, um, tightening or stretching the muscles that are supposed to be stretched. So I kind of drop into that hypnotic state. And like I said, another resourcing thing for me is having a, a close person hold my hand or hold me. Mm-hmm. Mm, yeah, that's powerful. I also like um, nature. You know, I oh, like yeah. to be out in nature. Uh, hiking with my dog is a resource for me. And it really resets my nervous system when I'm out in nature. But same like yoga, it's intentionally stretching certain areas that that need to be like, you know, I need to talk to those especially my hips. It's like, mm-hmm. Oh, hips. You, you can let go whenever you're ready. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, and I also love to dance as a resource mm-hmm. and also love to color all, uh, or paint, but I haven't done that in so long, but I've been thinking about bringing it back into my life because I think it's such a powerful way to get out of my head and just into my heart and be creative. Um, but you know, food and, and, 
and even drinking water and tea, those are resources mm -hmm. as well. And I always tell people like after a session, there's no shame in those resources, whatever you think you had to like hold yourself back from, because you know, maybe you were restricting yourself on a diet or some sort. This is more important to resource yourself with what you know is like the thing that brings you comfort. So I tell people with mindful boundaries around it, right? Don't binge, but like, don't, don't feel bad having an ice cream. You know, yeah. I have a client who was who's been like not drinking alcohol, not because she had a, an addiction to it, but because she just wanted to reduce inflammation and she had not drank alcohol for a really long time. But after we talked about resourcing, she went out and had a martini and she's like, I felt so good. I'm like, yeah, great. <laughs> she's like, that's what I decided I wanted for that night for a resource. Yeah. And no coincidence. It came following our process where we accessed her 22 year old self who that's what she used to do for fun mm. at that stage. So it was funny how she recognized, she was like, I felt like I was acting like my 22 year old self. Like, <sighs> Probably were. <laughs> so yeah. That reminds me of a, oh, oh God. I know I was just saying funny association. Yeah. It reminds me of a colleague of mine who um, has developmental trauma. And so what she does mm -hmm. to kind of resource and feel whole and safe is she'll put on fancy socks that she used to like when she was a kid. So just like, that's what that, that part that's upset needs is like put on some yep. colorful socks or snuggle with a blanket. Nice. Oh, those are great. All right. So resourcing is important. Um, you know, let's talk about like who this is you know, what the, the actual therapy itself is mm -hmm. really freaking powerful. All right. Mm -hmm. It's so powerful. And we know it has the potential to, to truly help people create positive personal change, but who is it not for? We need to really make sure that people are aware of the uh, contra indications. Yeah, definitely. Um, so psychedelic work as a whole is destabilizing, right? It, it literally, like taking a psychedelic increases entropy in the brain. The default mode network goes offline. This is with serotonergic psychedelics like magic mushrooms, LSD, ayahuasca, ibogaine, mescaline, you know, San Pedro cactus, et cetera. So, um, and that's what, how we're allowed to, or we're we have access to creating new pathways in the mind because the, the old pathways suddenly don't become um, so readily traveled during that experience. But anyway, so just the nature of them is destabilizing and PSIP is, you know, uh, it's, it's changing our pathways of safety that our body has evolved based on all of our life experiences. I just can't emphasize enough how wise the nervous system is. So we are deliberately tinkering with that it's very important to be responsible and not to engage, like not to do a PSIP um, therapy session or a sequence of sessions if becoming destabilized is going to like wreck your life. So if right. you're balancing a lot of different things and, and, and then ending up getting into a really emotional place where the things that usually help you relax are not going to work for some time, um, that's, it might not be a good idea. Right. Um, so it's good to really have the space to do a lot of resourcing around this. Um, so that's in general for anyone. And then, um, people with a family history of bipolar or a personal diagnosis of bipolar, and this could be a whole podcast episode about like, is it really bipolar? Um, either way, proceed with caution, talk to your therapist ahead of time. Um, so because, uh, this kind of work could trigger a mania or a manic flip, and that might just might not be. Um, a good idea. Um, 
anyone with a family history or personal history of psychosis. Uh, so schizophrenia and other disorders like that, again, could be another podcast episode, um, on spiritual emergency versus psychosis, et cetera. But at any rate, proceed with caution um, because the brain is already very entropic in, in that kind of individual. So um, yeah. who else? I, I just put... Oh, yep, there he is, Loki. Okay, All Loki. Right. Hold, hold on, I'm just gonna let Loki go go figure out what he needs to do. All right, you figure. Loki's out. destabilized. He needs Loki's some co-regulation. <laughs> um, so what I liked is about how um, you said proceed with caution, and I appreciate that because it's not to say that someone with certain conditions like you described is a totally like off the table. If someone has the the right support system, the right like plan and and going into it knows all of the possible scenarios that might, or at least can be like accepting of all the possible scenarios that might arise. Um, the temporary destabilization, um, if it can be, if it can be like, if you can be nurtured through it when you're in that state, um, then I would, I would say that that's an individual choice, but going into it, no, very well that it's not like, oh, I'm just going to go repattern, repattern my pathways <laughs> and like, no big deal. Yeah, yeah. Nope. Your, your life might come undone so that it can be rebuilt up again. And so exactly. that's really hard even for the most resourced amongst us, but for someone who does have like, you know, their life is not necessarily in an, like in a stable place to begin with, it just might be a lot more scary and uncomfortable. So. Yeah, exactly. And for that very reason, um, PSIP also is not indicated for anyone who's acutely suicidal or who has had right. a suicide attempt in the last couple, you know, 30 days or so. Mm -hmm. um, also somebody with uh, substance abuse or dependency, if mm -hmm. they're less than six months of sobriety, it just really, that's a time to focus on whatever's working for sobriety because uh, in destabilization, there could be a relapse and that just might not be what the person wants. And uh, cardiovascular risk is also a contraindication um, due to both the processing that happens mm -hmm. in, in PSIP and also that the medicines can increase blood pressure. Right. So a person should be able to tolerate light to moderate exercise, like, you know, going up a couple flights of stairs or um, that, that kind of thing. And this is something to talk about with one's doctor. If you do have cardiovascular issues um, to ask them, like, would it be contraindicated with your physical health to, to do a therapy that might raise the heart rate and raise the blood pressure? Right. And with that said, speaking about communicating this with a, a practitioner, not all doctors even are, are educated on what psychedelic therapy is all about. So making sure that the person that you are talking to is, um, is perhaps educated and, and, and knows about it because I think that sometimes others who don't know about it might turn away. I remember when I went for my medical card um, for cannabis, the, you know, the doctor that I went to, what well, my primary care, who was just honestly where I went for like emergency type stuff. I didn't yeah. have a relationship with them. Um, but the, uh, he, he was like cannabis. I don't agree with that. And I'm like, Mm, then that tells me you don't know the 
updated research and the science behind it. And so it just is, it's the way, the way of the world right now. We're in a, an emerging new modality that has enough, what I believe is enough data to back this, um, this modality's uh, effectiveness, the efficacy, as well as the safety to a degree, you know, like anything, mm -hmm. there's always risks, but to a very strong a level of, of, of safety involved with it. And anyone who has yet to access that data, meaning if they just haven't educated themselves on it and they have an opinion, that to me is closed-minded. And so I'm more cautious of the closed-minded people than I am of the open-minded people, but I'm also in the middle ground where it's like, don't just believe everything because you're excited about something. Like do your, your due diligence and, and make sure that you discern truth for yourself in an educated way. I, I agree with that. And um, I'm a fan of healing in community and having people surrounding yourself with people who you can be honest with them and you know that they're going to be honest with you and that they can call you on your bullshit and like it might suck, but you can still trust that they love you and they're doing it because they love you. Mm -hmm. uh, I think that that's really important. And of course, practitioners need to fall under that as well, that, that, that they will get informed and be able to know if their biases are informing the advice that they're giving. Um, yeah. I, I mean, I could just go, I have lots of stories on that, but I think, are we, are we reaching wrap up? We didn't even talk we about are. how people use psychedelics and PSIP, but basically right. cannabis <laughs> or ketamine and a low dose can facilitate this process happening uh, right. faster. Right. And the practitioner is not administering it because it's yeah. legal in the States where it is offered. Uh, the, the, the client is responsible for arranging for their medicine with a prescribing whether it's a physician or a place where they can purchase. Right. Or if it's a state where recreational cannabis is legal, then so they just have their own already. Yeah, exactly. So awesome. I mean, look, we definitely could talk about this for hours, clearly, and there's so much more to it. But I think this is a really great place. And uh, as we do continue to see, I think, well, a meaning like more and more um, psychedelic therapeutics offered in our society. There's going to be more people who are interested in exploring it. And it's important for them to know all of the, 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 you know, the pros and cons. So we just went through a list of cons. Is, is there a pros list that you <laughs> want to make sure you cover? <laughs> pros of psychedelic therapy. Yep. I mean, all anybody has to do is read any of the psychedelics magazines or, you know, even New York times articles about um, right. psychedelic therapy. And you'll hear about all of the benefits. Um, uh, I will just say from, I'm a fan of using personal experience. I was just going to ask, what did you get out of it? <laughs> um, I used to hate my body, hate being in my body and the medicines very gently. And in a, in a, in a, both complex and like hyper simple way um, showed me that like, this is actually home. Like this is, this is the first home. And then in any place that I feel at home is another home, but like, this is the number one. And um, that I learned to hate my body from messaging from my surroundings and also from sensory um, needs that I had that I just wasn't validating. Um, so psychedelics helped me come home to my body They've helped me to process things that happened in my past. 
they've helped me um, set a course for the future of uh, what I want to feel like and the ways that I want to share my gifts with the world and, and, and help catalyze healing for other people. Uh, and, and psychedelics have, <laughs> they've helped me not fear death. It's mm-hmm. so, I, it was mm-hmm. never an intention, like, but uh, through all of this, I've come to, I've come to really enjoy being alive now and also to um, sort of await the moment when I uh, bid farewell to this reality and this consciousness and mm-hmm. rejoin the whole. So I, I had no spiritual or religious beliefs my entire life. And now I kind of do. And that was totally unexpected. And it, it enriches my experience so much. Aww, I love that. Yay. Thanks for sharing. I had um, such severe self-esteem issues, like so low in thinking about myself, which meant the way that I let people treat me and what my boundaries were, were like what boundaries, <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. And so as a result, I was either always being taken advantage of, giving my power away, feeling abused and used and neglected and abandoned and just, just self-fulfilling prophecies. You know, I believed a certain thing. I acted a certain way. I got that thing. And I was like, see? So, yeah, it really helped me to develop my sense of self and be able to uphold um, my boundaries better. And in a way that I didn't even, it it wasn't like I had to learn a new skill. It was just like I made a new decision about who I really am. Um, And I also believe that my experience has helped me to open up my heart to trust again. And because I had lost trust, I had lost my connection to life in general. Like I didn't have joy in life and I didn't feel like, no, you know, like the connections with people were superficial. I didn't feel like I had intimacy really. And like, so it was able to open up my heart to trust again. Um, and also what I say is see the truth in all things. And when you can see the truth in things, it doesn't mean that everything's rosy. It just means when it's not rosy, you're okay with it because you see it's for what it is. And you know that, um, you know, you kind of have a new way of responding to the things that you see as well. Um, so those are the positives for me. But also most recently, um, there was a block that I had. Um, this was, So all of those things that I just described were my tier three revelations. But uh-huh. I even though like our tier two, because it was about the self and the identity, but Mm -hmm. my tier one revelation came after PSIP therapy. um, And I didn't even know that it was going to help this going in, but I had this block um, in, in um, my life that was affecting um, the way that like I was in business. Like I think that anyone who's an entrepreneur knows how important it is to like have sustainability in business and be able to like, you know, uh, there's, there's ups and downs of the influx of different clients, but I, I would have droughts and then floods and droughts and floods. And it was really uncomfortable for me to live in those, that place as a business owner. Um, And it, it literally just wiped out whatever block that made that happen. When I tell you, it's just been a consistent, steady stream since uh, since doing that first session. 
every block related to my business has gone even to the degree where it was like, you know, questioning like, all right, well, how do I want to represent myself and how do I want to talk about what I do? And, and like, I got so crystal clear and felt very grounded and anchored in this, this role of what I do. And then everybody who I worked with was having profound transformation within a short time. And I was like, whoa, something happened. <laughs> so, wow. Yeah. Yep. So that mm. was good. And it, and I also just felt that there was a different, like I felt different on a cellular level and I couldn't explain how I knew that something changed in me and it was just never coming back. Like whatever changed was a permanent change and I just know it. Um, and then come to find out it's the most common thing that I'm hearing from the people that I'm working with. That's what they, that's like within their own way of, of phrasing it. That's what they're saying is happening. Um, so that's really cool. So I'm excited. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And I always remind people like it's people say, oh, ayahuasca saved my life or, um, you know, mm -hmm. if it wasn't for LSD, I'd never be where I am. And I always like to empower people that it's like, it's the relationship with the medicine that yeah. gets you there. It's your own healing, inner healing wisdom. Um, so like these experiences can be so many different things. It's like really like each, each trip is different because every brain is different and every moment is different right. for each brain. Yes. So um, people can get like these expectations about what psychedelics will be for them. And if, if they're like, if what they want to treat, like their depression doesn't go right. away when they take psychedelics, it can feel like, wow, I'm really right. broken. Even psychedelics, which everybody right. is raving about didn't help. And yeah, so just encourage people. Yeah, that it's, it's, um, it really can be an upward spiral kind of journey. Yes. And psychedelics aren't for everybody. Right. It does not mean there's anything wrong with you if this doesn't work for you. And also like, it could be that trying it in a different mindset next time or trying it in a different setting next time or both or with a loved person being there or a professional like just in or in nature. Um, yeah. Mm, well said. I also think that what matters to the experience isn't just like the event itself, having the, the psychedelic experience is one thing, but like you pointed out, the distillation process, like when you gain new insights, there's an integration that happens. And so there is a way to support and nurture that integration. And I think that that's a missing piece for a lot of people. They think like, oh, I have the session, I'm good. It's like, let's work yeah. with what comes up through that session and help us to make sense of the experience in a way from, and anchoring it in, right? So to embody that new newness <laughs> that comes for, comes up for people. Mm-hmm, yeah. Oh. And I want to, can I give one last yeah, analogy? Please. This will be a good one to wrap us up. Um, that first time that I was in Costa Rica, I like, I was in conscious community. I was outside all the time, um, just everything. And when I got home, I felt so stunted. Like I just, and it was March in New England it was, and I had just been in Costa Rica for months. Um, and, and what I realized was that the medicine work was like planted or it germinated some seeds that were within me, you know, some, some dormant seeds were within me, they germinated. And then just literally the sunlight and the water in Costa Rica and everything there, the plants were like, whew, they were going off growing so big. These new parts of myself were, were thriving. And then I came back to the U S 
I was not in community. I was down in the basement, you know, the sun wasn't out. And so my plants were like, they had grown so robust and now they were withering and they didn't have the nourishment. So it was, I had to find a source of light for these plants and a source of water and nourishment and the right temperature. And so that's really like tending our own process is very much like having a garden and pulling out the weeds and giving the plant, you know, looking at the plant and the health of it. This is like our, our development. What, what, how much more can we nurture our growth? Mm, well said. I love that analogy. What a visual. As you were talking, I was seeing parts of you withering and growing in relation to where you're at with it. So <laughs> I'm a visual storyteller. I love that. Uh, well, thank you, Leah, for, you know, talking about this with me and, and sharing your wisdom with our community. Um, I would love to, you know, perhaps think about what we can continue this conversation with perhaps like another time with, with going deeper into it, or even how about this? I'm going to invite people who are listening and who do have questions if they want to reach out with those questions. And then maybe we can come back and like, just basically have a Q and a, would that be of oh, interest? I love, love that yeah. idea. Yeah. And I, I really love you, Shauna and love, love your love work. You. So thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Feelings mutual. <laughs> Sweet. So yeah, so that's an invitation. Anyone who's listening, what are your questions? What would you like for us to talk about uh, or to go deeper into and um, let us know and we'll set a time up to do that Q&A. All right. Well, this has been a treat. Thank you so much for, for joining me, Leah, with this, this talk and then also for the listeners for spending time with us today. I really am grateful for your presence. And with that said, I hope that uh, you enjoyed this episode as much as I did. And I look forward to the continuation. Psychologist is Consciousness Positive Radio. Find us everywhere podcasts are hosted. For more information, visit us on Facebook or online at thepsychologist.com.